following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Ash Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022, on the basis of 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 13. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. It has been observed that a person can ignore reality but they cannot ignore the consequences of ignoring reality. In other words, if something is indisputably true, if it is demonstrably factual, you can pretend that it's not all you want, but eventually all of that pretending is going to come back around to bite you. Now, if that observation is true, then it would seem to me that the stakes could not possibly be any higher than they are on Ash Wednesday. You see, out of all the things that might fall under that big wide umbrella that is called reality, perhaps the truth that we are confronted with on Ash Wednesday ought to be right at the very top of the list. Even more obvious than such things as one plus one equals two, or what goes up must go down, is the truth that we are confronted with this evening. And that truth might well be summed up in the verse that actually comes right before the verses from 2 Samuel 12 that I just read to you. 2 Samuel 11, verse 27, the very last verse of that chapter says this, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The thing, you might recall, the thing that you in fact heard was adultery. Looking out from the roof of his palace one evening, David saw a woman. He was already married, so was she. And yet he lusted after her. He invited her into his house, into his bed, and she became pregnant. And so this was the reality. What David did displeased the Lord. Seems pretty obvious, right? And yet David had spent the better part of the last year, ignoring that reality, pretending that it was not true. He first sent off word to summon Bathsheba's husband Uriah back from the front lines of the battlefield, and he sent him to their home, to their bed, hoping that when this child of his was finally delivered, everyone would just assume that it was a child of theirs. When that didn't work, he sent Uriah back out to the front lines of the field of battle, this time with orders that David knew would bring about his death. And sure enough, they did. And so then the, the two of them, David and Bathsheba, waited a respectable amount of time for her to grieve the loss of her husband. But eventually, David invited her back into his home a second time, this time as his wife. And eventually she bore for him the son that they had conceived. And maybe, just maybe, if nothing else had happened, as a result of all of David's pretending and ignoring of reality, maybe everyone would have just gone on assuming that everything was on the up and up. Except the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Of course, that is a statement of reality that doesn't just apply and didn't just apply to King David. It equally applies 
to us as well. We could just as easily switch that statement around a little bit and say, the things that, insert your name here, have done displease the Lord. I'm not going to spend a lot of time exploring this evening what specific things that might be. In fact, you'll have an opportunity in tonight's service to do a little bit of reflecting on that on your own. But I do want to spend some time talking about just how much, just how often we like to pretend that that statement of reality is in fact false. How much we like to ignore it. How fond we are, in fact, of creating these alternate characters of ourselves. These real life projections, not of the people that we are, but of the people that we want to be. Characters that have scripts, the words that we use. Characters that have stage directions, the way that we act. Characters that have a history. Characters that use props. Characters that even sometimes put on costumes. And some of us might be at a time in our life where we really want those characters to be cool, <coughs> to fit in, to be popular, to be well-liked. Maybe others of us want those characters to be smart and successful, attractive and talented. And yet there is one thing that all of us want those characters to be. We all want our character to be good, to be virtuous to be moral, to be decent, to be the kind of person about whom others say, what a great guy, what a nice girl. Not the type of person about whom it needs to be said, the things that, insert your name here, have done displease the Lord. And so whether it's in the office or in the classroom, or at the party, or even here at church, it is so easy for us to pretend. In fact, it is so very difficult for us to stop that pretending. In fact, doing so, being honest about the truth about ourselves and acknowledging that truth out loud is probably the most difficult and painful thing there is for a person to do. Well, thankfully, that truth, that reality, is laid before us this evening, not just in the words from this book. It's also laid before us in the reality of the ashes in this bowl. This is what happens to people who have done things that displease the Lord. This is where they end up. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. We can try and assemble try and put together all of the arguments in the world, we can try and scrape together all of the pieces of evidence that we can possibly find that support this case, that we're pretty good people. Maybe we're really not all that bad. But the ashes that are sitting in that bowl, in fact, every single speck of those ashes is an argument to the contrary. Every single grave that is scattered like freckles over the face of planet Earth argues otherwise, including the one that is marked out for us. Dust you are. To dust you will return. That is reality. We can spend our whole lives ignoring that reality if we want, pretending that it's not true, not owning up to it, but we cannot possibly escape or ignore the consequences of ignoring that reality. 
those consequences are severe and those consequences are eternal and so this thing that is so easy for us to do we must stop doing and this thing that is so difficult and painful for us to do we must willingly and frequently do and yet thankfully God takes this thing that is so very difficult and so very painful and he does all that he can to make it as easy and painless as possible. That's what I want you to notice about this episode that's recorded for us in 2 Samuel 13. After nearly a full year of very patiently and very quietly being displeased with what David had done, the Lord finally acts. Only he doesn't show up at David's doorstep himself. Instead, he sends a messenger named Nathan. And even when the prophet Nathan shows up, he doesn't show up finger-wagging in a fit of rage. No, he does the very thing that Jesus would do a thousand years later. He simply tells a story about two men. A very rich man who had a thousand sheep and a very poor man who had only one. He allows the rage over a sin that was just like his to well up in David on its own. And he allows the condemnation of a sin that was just like his to come from David's mouth first. Then and only then did the prophet Nathan point to David and say, David, this man is you. And so finally when it came time for David to respond to that accusation, by that point he had not only learned a very important reality about himself, he had also learned a very important reality about his God. Already, even before we get to the forgiveness part, God had dealt with him very graciously, very patiently, very mercifully. And so David now knew he had a place where he could turn to take his costume off. He didn't say, you're right, I should go and apologize to the family of Uriah. Or you're right, I should go confess my sins to Bathsheba. You're right, I should hold a press conference where I apologize to the whole nation of people that I rule. No, David said, I have sinned against the Lord. He knew that in turning to the Lord, he was going to a place where he could take the costume off, where he could stop pretending. And he wasn't disappointed. The very first words out of Nathan's mouth. The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. It is so very difficult and so very painful for sinners to acknowledge their sinfulness. For people who like to pretend, the only reason in the world we would ever come to a place like this is if we can further the pretending. Almost as if it's act two, scene three of the play. Get the whole family dressed up and let's go to church. Everybody in their spots. Ready? Action. That's the last thing in the world we want to do. If coming to church means hearing that we are sinful. For people who like to pretend the last thing in the world that we'd ever want to do is actually actually acknowledge our sinfulness out loud in front of other people so that they can hear it. Certainly the last thing we'd ever want to do is spend an entire evening staring at our future in a bowl. But think of what the Lord could do 
with sinners who have done things that have displeased him. Think of what he could do, maybe even in reference to the way we have acted when someone has sinned against us. Here's how I'd maybe picture it. One by one, all of us would have to come up to the front. And an entire long laundry list of the most vile sins we've ever committed, the most vile thoughts, the most vulgar words, the most ill-tempered outbursts and self-centered actions that we've ever done would be read aloud for all to hear. And there would be nothing we could do, not a word we could say, even if God allowed us the opportunity. We'd have nothing to do but hang our heads in shame, knowing that no one else in the room would ever look at us the same way again. God could do that. Instead, he deals with us in, in a very similar way to the way he dealt with King David. He allows the acknowledgement and the condemnation of our sin to come out of our mouths first, almost as if we are somehow qualified to sit and to play the role of judge. There is no one-by-one one walk of shame. There is no laundry list of all the things that we've done. In fact, in the safety that can be found in numbers, together we fess up to the truth about ourselves. And even then, in, in pretty general terms, I have done the things God has told me not to. I have failed to do the things God has commanded me to do. That's about it. God surely knows the details. So do we. And then just as was the case with King David, not a moment later, words of forgiveness are being heard. For the sake of Jesus Christ, your sin has been paid for. You are not going to die. Sure, we might all still end up in this bowl. But because of Jesus, that's not the end. Yes, from dust we were created, and to dust we will return. But out of dust we will rise from the dead. There is hope beyond the grave for you. And that is the best news in all the world for people who like to pretend. I think you'd agree that Pretending works. A person can pretend all they want. They can get by doing it for quite a bit of their life so long as they don't have to do it all the time. It's exhausting. It's tiring. It's frustrating. It's even soul-sucking at times. And so we all need a time and a place where we don't have to do it anymore. When the costume can come off. When the script and the stage directions and the props can be set aside. When we can be completely honest about the awful truth about ourselves and still know with absolute certainty that we will be loved unconditionally and embraced. In fact, that's what makes a place home, right? In other words, this might not work in the office. It doesn't go exactly like this in the classroom or the locker room or the boardroom. But this, this place where our Heavenly Father wants to welcome us with open arms, where he meets our sin with forgiveness, where he responds to our shame with assurance, where he answers our fear with peace and our sorrow with joy. This is home. And home is one place where you don't have to pretend. Amen. Amen.